empty your mind of all the outside noise and all the outside thoughts uh, that can possibly creep in because I don't want you to miss what God is saying this morning, okay? Um, it is so easy to walk in here and to, um, you know, just start daydreaming, start uh, thinking about the cares of the world. I need you to sit that aside for about like 45 minutes and just let God speak to you, okay? Uh, because it is so important that, uh, you know, we make ourselves still so that we can hear God speak to us. Um, you know, uh, I believe it is uh, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Okay? And this is so true, uh, especially nowadays, because, you know, we live in this society where we have so much access to information, entertainment, um, you know, cable TV has things on all the time. You got cell phones in your pockets where you can, uh, you can do any number of things to entertain yourself or inform yourself somehow. And right now, I just need you to listen, uh, not only with your ears, but listen with your heart, okay? Uh, because that is what we are called to do in the presence of God, amen? All right, so, um, in John chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 12, the Bible says this. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Verse 14, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. I want to teach and preach to you from the sermon entitled, Don't Miss the Miraculous. Don't miss the miraculous. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to come into your house. Thank you so much for the opportunity to hear from you today. Uh, God, I ask that as I speak to your people that you would pour out uh, to them not only something for them to know, but for something for uh, them to understand and to process in their hearts uh, so that they would be drawn closer to you. Uh, Lord, we pray for each and every person that is here uh, that uh, you would speak directly to them, uh, that you would open their hearts and draw them closer to you. Uh, by your word and through your spirit. Amen. All right. Don't miss the miraculous. Um, it's funny because, um, you know, you talk about the, the topic of miracles today and, um, you know, you'll get opinions on it one way or the other, uh, you know, based on who you ask and what story you, you tell. And a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I think it's really easy to do just this, to miss the miraculous, okay? Um, you know, I, I had an opportunity a couple years ago, saw a, a video uh, that was taken from a security camera, um, and it showed a mother and uh, I believe like a, a, her seven or eight-year-old son, uh, they were walking down the street uh, hand in hand, they were walking on the sidewalk, I should say, hand in hand, and there was a car that came out of nowhere and ran both of them over, okay? And, uh, you know, you see this, and the car, I, I, I tell you no lie, the car rolled up this child's back from here all the way up, rolled over his head, okay, and rolled over his mother. And about three seconds after it happened, this child, who had just been run over by a 4,000-pound vehicle, rose up from the ground, brushed himself off as if it was nothing, and then went over to his mother, who was still incapacitated on the ground. Now, most of us would look at that video, and we would know, like, something miraculous happened there, right? Uh, we would understand that there are very few people that would walk away from an event like that, uh, unscathed, but this child basically was, okay? And 
you know, it's very easy for us to make the connection and say, wow, that, that was miraculous. Something had to have happened. An act of God must have happened there, okay, to protect that child the way that they were protected, okay? But even more important than that, um, you know, I would say that it's really easy for us to miss some of the smaller miracles that we see happening every day, okay? Um, you know, we are in a Bible-believing church, and one of the things that is our mission is to bring the gospel to people so that people will get saved. Um, but there are times when people get saved, even in this room, and, you know, people sort of take it as, you know, well, that's what's supposed to happen at church. Like, we don't have the same reaction. We don't have uh, the same level of excitement. We don't have uh, the same level of wonder for that miracle that we do for this child that was uh, miraculously saved from this car that could have easily killed him and his mother, right? So I wanted to take the opportunity today um, to visit three different stories in the Gospels. Um, and I wanted to show you uh, the three types of responses that people have to miracles as they happen, okay? Um, because it is important that we continue to keep our eyes open for what God is doing in the earth, okay? Because those things allow us to be re-energized and bring us hope, okay? We bring a lot of hope to this community out of this building next door, okay? Uh, we preach the gospel to people who are drawn to us uh, throughout the course of the week, and even those who come here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, okay? And I don't want us to miss the miraculous that's done every single day, okay? So let's go back to our opening verses, um, and uh, we're going to uh, pull up verse 14 for me. Uh, we'll start here. So this particular verse happened after Jesus had fed 5,000 people, okay? Uh, the Bible says 5,000 men, and we are assuming that there were women and children there as well. Um, so it was actually more than 5,000, okay? Uh, some estimates put it somewhere between like 10 and 12,000 people, okay? Um, and the interesting part about this is when we get to this verse here, Bible says, when the people saw him do this, meaning Jesus, when they saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Now, every time I read this verse, it's always funny to me uh, because uh, they don't refer to Jesus as Lord at this point, okay? Um, you know, they don't refer to him as teacher, at this point, but clearly he was both of those things, okay? And they use this title, prophet. Now, uh, anytime that we use a title when we refer to someone, it shows the relationship that we have with that person, okay? So if I go to my mom and I say, hey, mom, like her name, her, her, um, uh, her real name is Yvonne, but I don't go to her and refer to her as Yvonne, I call her mom, okay? So I established the relationship between her and I when I, I call her mom, okay? Um, if, you know, you're in the military, uh, military is big on titles, right? Okay, so you go and you refer to a general or a corporal or a private, like that establishes relationship, okay? So they call Jesus a prophet, okay? And what's interesting is that they say this phrase here, he is the prophet we have been expecting. Now, what's funny about this is usually, well, excuse me, prior to that, I should say, uh, the Israelites had many prophets that came before Jesus, okay? Uh, none of them were as holy or divine as Jesus, but they were appointed by God to come and speak God's judgment on the people of Israel. They were also appointed by God to speak prophecy to the people, okay? But typically speaking, they were not the most liked people in the Old Testament, okay? So when they say here, 
Surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. I don't know how they were expecting him. Typically, people don't expect the prophet. And if they do, it's because they've been doing something wrong. Okay? So now they know they've been living wrong. Okay? And the prophet comes and he speaks to them and he pronounces judgment that is going to come from God. So when they say this, it's almost an oxymoron because really you were expecting the prophet? I don't know how that is. But... That's what they said, okay? So when we move to verse 15, uh, the Bible says this. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Now, these people, uh, it, and the Bible describes them as the crowd, okay? The crowd was following Jesus, and up until this point, okay, uh, Jesus had been performing all kinds of miracles in front of them, okay? Uh, do me a favor, pull up John chapter 6, verse 2. So in John chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says this. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Give me just a second. The Bible says this. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Shortly thereafter that, Jesus performs the miracle of feeding of these 5,000 men plus women and children. Okay? So up until this point, they had been following him not because he had spoken anything prophetic, not because he had taught anything special. They were only following him because they saw what he could do for them physically. Okay? They saw the fact that he could feed their stomachs. They saw the fact that he could heal them of infirmities. Okay? So they were so concerned with what he could do physically. Now that... We get to the point where there's this huge crowd, and they are expecting him to, like, be it. Like, they were going to force him to be their king. Now, think about this, okay? Um, How popular do you have to be for someone to force you to go into a position that you don't really want? Like, uh, if, if... I were out on this street corner here, and I was just handing out handfuls of cash, handfuls of cash. How many of you think I'd be popular real quick? Like, surely, right? Everybody in this room would love me then, right? Okay. But here's the thing. Like, Jesus essentially was doing just that. He was doing everything that people wanted to satisfy their physical wants, okay? So, yeah, they were going to force him to be their king, okay? So... Knowing this, knowing what their hearts, uh, knowing what their hearts had in mind, he decides to slip away by himself. Okay, and he tells the disciples to go ahead uh, to the next town ahead of him. Okay, so he goes up into the hills, he prays, and then he meets up with them uh, a short time later. Uh, actually, it says the, the following day uh, in the Bible. And then, uh, if we drop down to John chapter 6, verse 22. That's where we pick up the story. It says, The next day, the crowd that stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized that Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, They got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Let's pause there for a second. Um, So, again, Jesus had not spoken a prophetic word to them. They referred to him as prophet. Jesus had not taught them anything, but they call him Rabbi which means teacher, okay? So they're throwing these titles out at him left and right that the Pharisees 
normally would have responded to and thought, oh, this is great. This builds me up, okay? This is a place of honor to be called rabbi, okay? But Jesus, Jesus looked past all of that foolishness, right? And he says to them in verse 26, he says to them, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs, right? So Jesus is telling them, and he's bringing them back to the main issue, okay? I know I can meet your physical wants, but here's the thing. You're missing what I'm trying to show you. You're missing the miraculous, okay? And here's the problem. Like, when we reach this particular point in the story, there's, there's sort of this shift and this transition. They were, they were all gung-ho for Jesus prior to this, okay? They were rah-rah. They were trying to force him to be the king. And we reach this point where now Jesus sticks them with the truth, and now they have to respond to the truth, okay? So now they're in a position where they've been confronted by Jesus, and now they have to figure out how they're going to respond. So it, it, let, let's move on to verse 27, where the Bible says this. Uh, Jesus goes on to say, I should say, but don't be so concerned about the perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So in verse 27, Jesus tries to point them towards the one thing that would satisfy their spiritual need versus what they wanted was to have their physical wants met. Okay? So he's trying to bring them to the most important thing that there is. Okay? The fact that he has come so that they can be saved. Now watch what happens, though. Okay? Because... All they wanted to do was be healed and fed, but he wants to bring them spiritual healing, but they don't realize it, okay? And this is the way that lost people are today, okay? We are living in a world full of dying people, and I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about people who are dying spiritually because they don't know God. They don't know the true God, okay? So... Jesus brings them back to center, okay? And he tells them that right here in the middle of the verse, it says, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Now, the Son of Man is a title that Jesus ascribed to himself, okay? And back during that time and in this culture, they knew exactly what that phrase meant, okay? Uh, they knew enough uh, to know that he was speaking about being the Messiah, the one to come, okay? So when he referred to himself as the Son of Man and he referred to uh, the fact that he could give them, them eternal life, okay, he was speaking and appealing directly to their spiritual need for something that they may or may not realize that they needed, okay? So here's their response in verse 28 says they replied we want to perform God's work too wait a minute you want to perform God's work too wait a minute so so again we come back to them wanting the feeding the healing they wanted all the things that he could do but why why did, why did they want those things well I'll tell you like this uh, human nature hasn't changed ever, um, so it is much like it is today. You've got people out there that want to be their own God, okay? They want to be self-sufficient, whatever that is, okay? They're in a person on this planet that can believe, breathe oxygen without God putting it there. But we want to be self-sufficient. Like, where are you going to make the oxygen? Like, okay? But 
They wanted to be self-sufficient. We want to perform God's work too. And it wasn't even so much that uh, uh, they wanted him to give them that power, okay? It was more like they want to support themselves. That's what that really was, okay? So then they asked the question, what should we do? Again, it puts the emphasis on them and what they can do, rather what God can do for them, okay? And here's the thing, if we are not careful, we can fall into this trap too, okay? Because we can go through and we can do ministry under our own power. Like it's very easy for us to serve in any capacity and then put our time, our energy, our effort into those things and leave God out the equation. Okay? However, we are not designed to do things, to do life that way. Okay? Uh, if you go and you read later on in, in uh, the book of John, I want to say it's John chapter 15. Uh, Jesus talks about being the vine and the importance of staying connected to the vine because apart from him, we can do nothing. Okay? So we should never walk around with this mindset of what can I do for God? We should walk around with the mindset, what can God do through me? Right? So, at this point, again, they wanted to take God's place, or they wanted to be their own God, okay, so that they could be self-sufficient. So, Jesus, knowing and understanding that, says this to them in verse 29. It says, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And he was talking about himself. Now, this was funny. You know, we talk about belief. And I have taught... Um, many times to the youth on the importance of understanding the difference between having a belief in versus having a belief that, okay? I'm going to explain to you real quick the difference between that right now. Um, if we have a belief in, okay, we are placing our faith and our trust in that person, that, uh, that other thing, okay? For, for instance, if I'm a police officer and I am chasing down a criminal, and he is shooting at me, right? I'm wearing a, 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 a bulletproof vest, and let's say I happen to run around the corner, and I don't see this criminal there, and he gets the drop on me, and he shoots me, or he shoots at me, okay? Now, in that very moment where I realize in that split second that that criminal's got the drop on me, and they fired on me, what am I placing my belief in? I'm placing my belief in that vest that it's going to do the job that it needs to do in order to keep me safe, right? I'm putting my faith and my trust that it was built well enough to protect me from that bullet that's coming, right? So when we talk about putting our belief in Jesus, okay, it is for the fact that he is the only thing that saves, okay? He is the only way to go to heaven. Okay, and we are placing that belief in the fact that he went to the cross 2,000 some odd years ago. He died on that cross, was raised again for our sins, and it is only by way of our acknowledgement of those sins, our, uh, uh, our calling out to God to confess those sins to him, and us asking him to change us from the inside out that we are able to receive that gift of salvation. Okay, that is what we are placing our belief in. That is what we trust in as Christians. Okay, now let's talk about the difference between having a belief in versus having a belief that. When you have a belief that, you are ascribing the fact that there is knowledge that you have acquired and you believe that it's true. Okay. Bible says that even the demons believe that God exists, but they know because they have had firsthand interaction with God, okay? Before they were cast down from, hev from heaven to this earth, they were communing with God, okay? 
So they had open relationship with God until they sought to, uh, uh, to rebel and they were cast down to earth. So they believe that God exists. And there are, many belief, there are many people out there that believe that God exists. But here's the thing. Having this belief that God exists and having a belief in him as the only way to be reconnected to him are two very different things. Two very, very different things. So when it says here, well, well, when Jesus says here that we need to believe in the one that God has sent and he's speaking about himself, it is not just having knowledge of Jesus that's going to get us there. It is having the faith and the trust that Jesus is the only way to get there that saves us. Amen. So, uh, verse 30, the Bible says this. They answered. <laughs> Hold on, go back, go back. This might be the funniest verse that I studied all week. Okay? So they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Are you serious? This man just healed thousands of people. He fed 5,000 plus people, and you want him to show you a miraculous sign. Are you serious? Like, for real, that, that's the best response that you can come up with? Again, this shows where they were, though, okay? Because their hearts only desired the physical wants to be met. It wasn't about their spiritual need. Okay? So, and it's funny because they use the term, or they use the phrase, believe in. Okay? So they were basically saying, you want us to trust you? Show us a miraculous sign. As if he hadn't shown them enough already. The Bible says the only reason that they were following him up until that point was because he had healed them. And because he had fed them. But they want a miraculous sign. Right? And then they ask this question, what can you do? <laughs> really? What can't he do? I mean, he's done everything to meet your physical needs, but now you're going to ask him, what can you do? Are you nuts? He can wipe you out like that. But he doesn't because he loves you. And he's giving you an opportunity to believe in him. So... <laughs> It is so funny. Like, I, I read that verse, and you see just how much or how easy it is to take the miraculous for granted. Okay? And, you know, like I told you in the beginning, um, we want to make sure that we don't fall into that trap. We don't want to uh, take for granted the things that are happening around us that we see that are miraculous. Okay? So that's our first story. Let me, let me share with you our, our second story. We're going to go over to Mark and look at chapter 6. And we will start in verse 1, uh, where the Bible says this. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Let's pause there for a second. So the Bible tells us that Jesus goes to his hometown. Now, uh, at this particular point in time, Jesus had been out uh, in public ministry for a little while. Um, so, you know, Jesus was a rock star, all right? Uh, everywhere he went, he drew a crowd. Um, you know, and uh, people flock to him for a variety of reasons, okay? Um, you know, and a lot of times it was because of what he was able to do for them. Uh, and then some of the times it was because of the teaching that he had for them, okay? So some people were being drawn and they were becoming disciples as a result, okay? Now, uh, it says that Jesus went to his hometown, okay, and by now, Surely they would have heard about all that he had been doing. And surely they had heard because it says here, 
Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Okay, so they understood that he was a wise teacher. They understood that he could perform miracles that were of God. And they were questioning where it came from. And the Bible says here that they were amazed by the fact that he could do it. Okay? And, you know, it's interesting to me because in this particular instance, you know, like they were, they were on board. They were hyped at first. But then we get to verse 3. So in verse 3, <laughs> the Bible says, then they scoffed, comma. You can stop the story right there, but we'll tell it. Um, so it says, then they scoffed. So <laughs> uh, to those that don't know what it means to scoff, uh, like, it, it, just picture it this way. Um, you know, you walk into a room and, um, you know, you're going into the kitchen. You're going to get yourself something to drink. You pick up a cup thinking it's yours uh, and you go to sip whatever's in that cup. And then you realize instead of what it was, what you thought it was, it's totally something else that you just dislike. And then you get that ugly face, right? So that, like, they, they totally just recoiled at this point, all right? Because it says, then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter. We'll pause there. He's just a carpenter. Remember what I told you before about titles. When you have people refer to you by a title, it establishes relationship. Okay, so all they saw him as in this moment was who they knew him as prior to him coming back home, which was a carpenter. They didn't know him as Jesus the Messiah. They didn't know him as Jesus the Lord. They didn't know him as Jesus rabbi. They didn't know him as Jesus the prophet. They didn't know him as any of these things. So when he's doing these things in verse 2, and it says that they were amazed, it was because of this. They could only see him as the carpenter that they knew growing up. Okay? And it's funny because how many times, you know, do we have, uh, uh, do we have those instances with family where, like, you haven't seen them for a long time, and then you go and you start talking to them about Jesus, and they're like, who are you and what would you do with my cousin? They're like, they, 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 they look at you like you got a third eye in the middle of your forehead, and, like, you came from another planet. You're the same person, but you've been changed. Right? They could not separate the fact that he had become something different. They could not separate the fact that he had become something much higher to answer the call of God. And people are not going to see the same thing in you. Okay? They are not going to receive well the fact that you have changed for God if you are living for God. Okay? Because all they can see you as is who they once knew you as. Okay, so don't be, don't be uh, uh, surprised. Same thing happened to Jesus. Okay? So then they go on. Uh, and then they start rattling off names. He's the son of Mary and the brother of James, J Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Now, mind you, uh, the Bible actually says that at one point in time, all of them came looking for Jesus because they thought he was nuts. They thought he was off his rocker, and they were coming to get him and bring him back home, okay? Uh, of course, he didn't go with them at that time, but none of them were saved. They didn't believe in his ministry, okay, at this particular point in time. It wasn't until he actually went to the cross, and then thereafter, that his brothers got saved, okay? Because, uh, you know, you read the book of James and the book of Jude, that's James and Judas, Okay? They ended up being converts after Jesus died. Okay? So, again, uh, the people that were there, they scoffed. Okay? Uh, and these were people from Jesus' hometown. They scoffed. And then they start running off his title. They start running off the relationships that he had with his family. And then it says this. They were deeply offended 
and refuse to believe what? To believe in him. Okay? They refused to believe in him. They could believe the fact that he was doing miracles. They could believe the fact that he was a wise teacher, but they could not stomach the fact that he was who he said he was and that they needed to put their belief in him. Okay? And this is no different today. Okay? Uh, you've got people that have heard the gospel countless times uh, that are deeply offended and that refuse to believe in him. Okay? And I, 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 I want to I just take a quick side note and um, tell you that, you know, as a Christian, that's not an easy thing to do, especially when it comes to being like your family and friends, okay? Uh, and you're trying to share the, the gospel with them and they get deeply offended and they refuse to believe in Jesus and like you love Jesus with all your heart and like that's not an easy thing to stomach, but the reality is that these were people that knew Jesus longer than anybody else on the planet, okay? And they still refused. They were still offended by what he said, okay? And we ought not be surprised when our family does the same thing, okay? So, verse 4, the Bible says this, then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Jesus was not surprised when they were offended or they rejected him. He knew. He knew. Okay? And, again, if he's not surprised by it, we ought not be surprised by it. Okay? Uh, because the reality is this. He's the one that actually saves. We don't do any of the saving. We just share the message with people. They're not rejecting you when they say no to the gospel or they get upset and uh, storm out the room. They are rejecting him. Okay? And even amongst the people that you would expect to know Jesus the best, they still rejected him. They were still offended by him. Okay? They were repulsed by what he had to say. But, again, it comes back to that choice that they make. Okay? Uh, we are only the messengers. They have to hear the message and do what they're going to do with it. Okay? Uh, verse 5. It says, And because of their unbelief, Let's pause there for a second. So it says because of their unbelief. Now, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out if they were unbelieving, okay, uh, that this wasn't going to end well. It wasn't going to go too far, okay? So it says because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I will tell you this. I, I, I struggled with this verse a little bit uh, this week because, you know, God being all-powerful, all-knowing, and uh, omnipresent, there's not much that God can't do. There's not much that Jesus can't do. Uh, so when the Bible says here that he couldn't do any miracles among them, I don't believe that it was that he couldn't do it in, in the way that most people would read that and, and uh, uh, think about it. Uh, I think it was more so that he couldn't do it because it required faith. It required them believing in the fact that he could do it, okay? And Jesus didn't heal anybody that didn't believe that he could heal them. Okay, because it does go on to say right after that, there were a few sick people, okay, that did get healed. They were probably the few that actually believed that he could do it. 
Okay. So, you know, we, we see this, again, amongst people that knew Jesus, that, that they were just totally operating in unbelief, okay? Despite the fact that he was actually doing what he said he could do. They just did not want to put their faith in him, okay? They didn't want to believe in him and see him as anything greater than who they already knew him to be from their past. Okay? That's our second story. Let's take a look at the third one. We're going to go over to Matthew in uh, chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 5. So the Bible says this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, uh, just a quick side note on that, I just realized that uh, uh, Capernaum was the first, when we went through our first story, that was also the place where the crowd uh, didn't want to believe in him, but that's just a side note. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him and said this, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Let's pause there for a minute. Go back to verse 6 real quick for me. Okay. So this was the first thing that uh, the Roman officer said to Jesus. He uses the title, Lord. Okay? Go back to verse 8. Jesus speaks to him, and then his response to Jesus again, he addresses him with the title, Lord. Now, I don't want to just gloss over this because this is really kind of important uh, that you catch this. Um, because a lot of times when... Uh, we read certain things in the Bible. They don't translate well over from their original language. This was originally written in the Greek, okay? And when this was, uh, when this term Lord was spoken, it's actually the, the term uh, kyrios. Can you pull up the definition for that? So this is what kyrios means, okay? Um, he to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has power of deciding semicolon, the master. The other definition to this, it is a title of honor expressive of respect and reverence with which servants greet their master. Now, let me explain to you the significance of this because this is a Roman soldier who had served in the, uh, the Roman army for some time because now he was at a point where he was commanding soldiers, okay? So, when he says this word, kyrios, okay, he was giving Jesus more honor and respect than he would have given to Caesar at that time, which was a punishable offense, okay? He could have easily been thrown in jail or killed on the spot for having done that. But he did it twice. He chose to use that specific term twice, okay, because he knew something that those other Roman officers didn't know, that Jesus was the master, okay? So, he uses that, and then in verse 9, the Bible says this, he goes on to say, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. So he's saying there are officers that are in command over me, okay, and certainly Caesar, okay, who controlled the entire Roman army uh, and was the, the known leader of the world at that point, okay, and I have authority over my soldiers, okay. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it, okay? So 
he used the term kurios to ascribe that title to Jesus because he wanted him to know that he was humbling himself to Jesus and his mastership, okay? And now he comes to a point and he, he tells Jesus about how he understands the authority structure, okay? How he understands that there are some people that I answer to and there are some people that answer to me. So I get the whole uh, thing about do this and you do it or don't do this and you don't do it. Like, I get that, right? So he tells Jesus this and then in the next verse, the Bible says this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Let's pause there for a second. So I've been reading the Bible for a long time. Um, and one of the things that I've come to understand um, is that um, there are some rare occasions that pop up in the Bible. Um, and when you see rare occasions, you, you kind of want to pay attention to them. Uh, you know, like uh, the Bible doesn't talk about multiple people being able to save Jesus. Save uh, humanity. It doesn't talk about there being multiple ways to get to heaven. It talks about one way. Okay, so we pay attention to that fact. Okay. Um, this is one of those phrases in the Bible that's fairly unique because there were only two times ever in the Gospels that Jesus was ever amazed. This is one of them. Okay. And if we read through the rest of this verse, we'll find out why. And it says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turning to those who were following him, the disciples. He said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus uh, back then was what we would call in these days an itinerant preacher. Okay. Uh, so he didn't have like a home church. Um, you know, on 4401 Georgetown Drive, uh, where he was preaching, although he's here every time. Just come find him, right? But he didn't have uh, a specific church that he was preaching to. He went around and he preached to the masses, okay? Uh, so he was traveling all over Israel, so he would be fairly, uh, a fairly good witness as to the faith that had been demonstrated throughout all of Israel. And he says of this Roman soldier, this soldier who didn't know him anything more than the fact that he was a very powerful teacher and he was a healer. That's what he knew about Jesus. Okay. He says this about the Roman officer. He says, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel which is a shame because this guy, had it not been for the fact that Jesus was there in Capernaum at that very moment, otherwise would not have known, you know, much of anything about Jesus, just the things that he had heard, okay? But he chose to call him by the title Kyrios, he chose to ascribe to him that very word which draws much respect and much reverence. But other than that, he would not have had allegiance to him. He had allegiance to Caesar, okay? But he demonstrated faith that no one else had demonstrated before Jesus, okay? And that was his response to a miracle that hadn't even happened yet. The Bible goes on to say after that that uh, his servant was healed, and Jesus didn't have to go to his home, okay? But this Roman officer went with the faith that Jesus was going to do it, regardless of whether or not he was a Jew or not. He demonstrated that faith, that Jesus would perform that miracle, and Jesus did, but he should not have expected that. 
That shouldn't have been his expectation at all. Rome had the Jewish people under their thumb, okay, and were oppressive with taxes and were oppressive with uh, corporal punishment throughout the land, okay? There was no reason for him to have had that expectation of a Jewish man. There was none. The Jewish people hated him, okay? They couldn't wait to be out from underneath Rome's thumb. There was no expectation that that Roman officer should have had, but guess what? He did. He demonstrated that kind of faith. So let's just recap. We've covered a lot, uh, and we do actually need to get out of here before four. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to review the three types of responses that people have to the miracles. First things first, people take it for granted. The crowd that was following Jesus that really just wanted to be around him uh, because he could meet their physical needs, both with healing and feeding them, um, they very easily took for granted that he had done all those miraculous signs prior to that. And when he came to them and he spoke with them about their need for spiritual, spiritual revival, spiritual renewal, and he told them that he was the only way to get there, when, and when he told them that they needed to believe in him, their response to him was comical. Their response to him will, was, well, show us a miraculous sign. Really? You can take all the things that he has already done, all the things that he's already witnessed, and so easily forget about them? Or take them for granted? You know, and I, I say that with a grain of salt because, again, uh, we have these stories and examples uh, for us to learn from, okay? And the fact of the matter is that we can very easily take the miraculous for granted. We can very easily forget the things that God has done for us that are miraculous in our own lives, okay? And, you know, we... <laughs> When I, whenever I hear Pastor tell his story, I, I always kind of think about this uh, because how many people did we feed yesterday? You know, off the top of your head, or how many people we fed yesterday? Over 800, over, over 800 people fed yesterday? Okay. So uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, we were doing somewhere between 2,000 and 2,400. Is that about right? Okay. Uh, we were feeding... Uh, roughly about 2,000 uh, 2, to 2,400 people out of this small building next door uh, weekly, okay? And as that program was building and growing, uh, we jumped from 500 to 800, from 800 to 900, and we were all gung-ho, and we were like, yes, we're pushing 1,000. We jumped to 1,000. We got over 1,000. We started pushing towards 1,500. We got over 1,500. We started pushing towards 2,000. But you know what happened? Even though our numbers started growing, excitement started to wane. Because when we would hear praise reports about it, the excitement level wasn't as much. The applause wasn't as much. And in a way, it's almost like we were taking for granted what God was doing. We were taking for granted the fact that he was doing something miraculous, something that he did in the first century of the church, right? Two reported miracles in the Gospels of Jesus feeding people. Uh, he fed 4,000 on one occasion, he fed 5,000 on a different occasion, and we get to participate in that almost every week now, okay? Where's the same level of excitement that we had for it, though? We cannot take for granted the miracles that God is doing through us to reach the people in this community and beyond. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Okay, these people receive hope from the people that provide this food to us 
And I cannot underscore, I can't say it enough, please don't take that for granted. There are some people that otherwise would not eat this week if it were not for the time, energy, efforts, and money that it goes into running this food program. Don't take that for granted, okay? It is so important and vital in the lives of those people. Don't take that for granted. Number two, there are other people that choose to respond with unbelief. And it's not because of a lack of evidence. People could see the miracles that Jesus was, uh, uh, was performing. People could go and listen to him in the synagogues, in the streets, teaching people about what God's prophetic word had to say and how he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. But just like it was back then, in front of people who knew him longer than anybody else, there are people today that choose unbelief. I don't know why. Um, you know, uh, However, again, like, this is one of the ways that people respond to miracles being done. They devalue them, and they choose unbelief. Number three, the last and most important way that someone can respond to God and his miracles is to believe by faith. Believe by faith that Jesus is going to do it. I told you before that that Roman officer should not have had any expectation that Jesus would do it. He really shouldn't, okay? Um, however, he did, and he demonstrated more faith in that one incident than anyone in all of Israel that Jesus had come across in all of his travels. which is amazing because for the most part, the people that flocked towards Jesus, they were the Jewish people. They were the people who were expecting, not the prophet, they were expecting the Messiah, or at least they should have been, okay? And when he told them that he was the son of God, when he told them that he was the Christ, when he told him his purpose, some chose unbelief. Others chose to believe by faith. So in closing, you have to ask yourself, which one are you? Are you the person that sees the miracles, but you take them for granted? Are you the type of person that sees the miracles and you choose unbelief? Or are you the type of person that sees the miracles and you believe by faith? That's always the question, okay? There's only three responses. That's always the question. The thing is, just like every other thing that we do, it comes down to a choice. Which one are you going to choose? You're going to choose to devalue, take for granted the great things that God has done in your life or is currently doing? Are you going to choose unbelief? Like even unbelief for the fact that God can do something in your life that you can't do for yourself. Like there are people who refuse to, to pray for something because they don't believe that God is going to do it. I, I've seen God do it in other people's life, but I don't believe he'll do it in mine. But I don't believe that he'll do it in mine. If you claim to believe, place your belief in the God of the universe, the God that created everything that we see of substance, the God that saved you, 
and you believe in those miracles, what makes you think that God can't save you financially? What makes you think that God can't heal you? What makes you think, or excuse me, that he won't do those things? Listen, I, just like this Roman officer, like he should have had no expectation, but he did it anyway. If I were you, I would pray for everything under the sun. I don't care what it is, okay? And if God's going to do it, he'll do it because that's his will and it can't be undone, okay? Don't choose unbelief. Don't put God in a box because that's where you expect him to be. God doesn't react the ways that we would expect him. Don't choose unbelief. Don't sell yourself short. Pray for everything under the sun. Now, don't expect everything under the sun, okay? But pray for everything, okay? Because you don't know what God is willing to do. You just know that you need to be walking in his purpose, okay? Uh, the Bible in uh, Proverbs 19:21 says, We can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Nothing about God's purpose will ever be thwarted. It will not, not come to pass. It will come to pass if God has said it. So here's the thing. Regardless of whether or not you choose belief or unbelief, don't short-circuit yourself to, from the power source that can bring about that change in your life. We are called to believe by faith. Everything about Christianity is a belief by faith, okay? We say that we receive salvation, but here's the reality. We won't truly realize the full impact of salvation until we set foot in heaven, okay? So we can say that, but we don't have a full concept of exactly what that looks like. Come on, Victor. We don't have a full concept of what that looks like. And the fact is, we are going to have to rely on some form of faith until we get there and we realize it with our eyes, and it is no longer us believing by faith, it's us believing by sight. There is only one true option on this list for the believer, and it is belief by faith. But again, you have to make that choice. You have to believe not only that it's possible that God could do it, but you have to believe by faith that he will. And again, that's not to say that he will. There are some things that uh, you pray for that the timing may not be right, the answer may be no, or you may just not be ready to hold on to that promise. You may not be able to operate the right way. You might actually lose your mind if you get that raise too soon, okay? Go crazy with spending, right? You know, you may not be in the position spiritually to receive what God has for you yet. But that doesn't mean that we can't believe by faith, okay? So I want to close with this, you know, um, Coming back to the title of the message, don't miss the miraculous. God is doing wonderful works every day, all around us. We just have to be willing to see them. And we have to be willing to believe by faith that he will continue to do them, okay? Don't ever think that this part that you play in ministry is so small that no one recognizes God sees it. Don't ever think that when you hold a door for somebody and you tell them God bless you and they didn't sneeze, that that's not going to impact somebody's life, okay? Don't ever think that, you know, the things that we, uh, that we do for God in his power are in vain, okay? Now, mind you, I said for God and in his power. Because we can do things for God, but them not be in his power, and it'd be a total mess. But we need to be operating in his power, and we need to make sure that we are serving faithfully. And believing by faith 
that God will bring about whatever results that he wants to bring about. Because again, we can make many plans, but it's his purpose that will prevail. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for the miracles that you perform each and every day. Thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be a blessing uh, to each and every person that we come into contact with. Lord, we ask that you continue to draw us close to you, that you continue to remind us of the miraculous, that you continue to remind us of how miraculous salvation is so that we never devalue it. God, we ask that you continue to work in us, on us, and through us to reach everyone around us. God, we ask that um, as we go from this place today that you would continue to show us all of the miracles in our lives and the lives of other people. And Lord, we pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.